Hello and welcome to episode 375 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 9th of July, 2021. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Hello, Tom. It's been a while since we've done a pod, just feels you and like I. feels like it's been ages. It feels like it's been ages since I've said anything to a microphone at all. Yeah, indeed. I think it was last month. But what? Was actually. What's, yeah, I mean, it feels like... Um, it feels like ages since I've last said, what is time? But really it's minutes, maybe, or days. So um, who who among us can really say? This is actually a surprisingly good segue to the first game mm, we were going to talk about. Yeah. I was just thinking about this. We could we could, um, we could drag this out longer or we could talk about Deathloop because um, they put out a big chunk of gameplay, I think somewhat overlapping with some previous footage that they'd shown of the game in a previous trailer. Um, yeah, it's the most sort of comprehensive overview of what the thing is. It's sort of what I been needing from the game uh yeah for a while it's just uh, oh this is how the game is structured and this is what it looks yeah like this is what it is yeah so death loop um is arcane leon's as in the, the the french half of arcane's new game uh which was revealed a few years ago there's an extremely large seagull outside it sounds like a child it sounds like a human child okay it, it's just it's just, it's actually a seagull child i've had this problem lately there's one nesting on the roof like a few few houses down on this terrace and I'm sorry that NVIDIA RTX voice is incapable of cancelling this human-sounding seagull child. Because this word must be heard. It's, un- it's, it's intelligent enough to know that's a child. And it is, but <laughs> yeah. just not, a, a, a human child, or B, relevant to this discussion of Arcane Leon's death loop. I apologize for the seagull. It's probably not going to get better. Um, well, it will get better. It will be fine. I hope it will wish it a long life. Um, I don't know why I chose to avoid upsetting a seagull uh i've been completely thrown by this but yeah arcane's thing um so um which they revealed a few years ago and i think i i forgot that i was excited about it until i watched this video if that makes sense i'm sorry <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> ask it what it thinks about death loop hang on i have to stand up i'm uh with you like dishonored oh Oh fuck me! There's a huge seagull. Like it's not. It's not the young one. It's it's its dad. It's it's literally staring down at me through my skylight from the chimney of next door's house. It's terrifying. I'm going to see if I can scare it off. This is the live radio that people came here for. And this uh... piss off. <laughs> it moment. did. Oh wow! It was obviously. I think it was trying to communicate something to you. Uh, there's some sort of omen there, Chris. So you might want to sort of like watch it back for the next few days. Yeah. Um, well, I have seen the film The Lighthouse. This was a lot like uh, that, but right. but reflective of my actual capacity for conflict. Um, <laughs> bad luck to tell a seabird to piss off. So Willem Dafoe once told me. <laughs> so we'll see what fate will befall me and my many scrimshaws. Um, we've got it recorded on this. We have an audio recording. <laughs> we do. Um, the um, thank God for wireless headphones. I'll say that. Um, speaking of scrimshaws, Dishonored. Um, Dishonored looks a bit like this game because it's made by the same people and it's a bit like that. Sorry, my brain has now been completely taken over by uh, suddenly making eye contact with a seagull. <laughs> <laughs> it looked into my soul, I looked into his. Um, and, and here we are. So yeah, Tom, what did you think of the video? Help, help me I, save this podcast. I thought it was, uh, I really enjoyed the colours, which is the level of criticism you can expect from me throughout the evening today. Mm. It was lovely. Though, like, I really liked the idea of... Uh, just having this really vibrant and kind of looks a bit kind of 60s color palette of you know, 
Yeah, it's got that kind of grindhouse um, mm. sort of seventies yeah, um, yeah. vibe, yeah. but it's very much a vibe as much so much more than a, a literal setting. Yeah, and uh, the idea of just brutally murdering loads of people for—I don't think it gave a reason um, why you had to go and kill all those people. Though there's a, that you're hunting seven or eight people, like mm. you're an assassin, and you have to take them down. And every time you die, you're you're reset to. Uh, I guess it's sort of like a load point, really. It seems like the kind of death and rebirth system is basically sort of saves coming, but within a context like containment. So there's there's well. two, right? So the right. the con- the broader context is it's Groundhog Day. Like when you die, or if the day ends, it resets to the start of the day, and then they also I think for the first time in this, and that's the kind of that's the loop, right? That's the the big edge of tomorrow loop. And then the other thing they showed in this is that obviously because it's got that kind of roguelike thing or the roguelite thing or even just the outer wilds like you know um time loop thing but the thing they showed in this video is that when you die uh, you have one of the powers you can earn effectively lets you rewind time a short distance um prince of persia style which is the kind of thing i think you were describing that it's almost like sanctified save scumming with a limit yeah which is um really cool um and yeah, there's tons of things I really liked about it. It really made me think of the the sort of the side of Dishonored that really um, uh, embraced, or the, the side of the Dishonored community that really embraced this kind of like crazy, these crazy trick shots and mm. a very kind of action heavy play style, as opposed to the stealth thing, which is not to say that the stealth thing isn't there, but you can really see uh, Arcane's love of sort of um, interconnected or inter mutually interactive kind of gadgets and abilities and powers and, and things like that yeah lots of uh using telekinesis to levitate people throw them across a battle arena maybe throw a sticky bomb or something onto them first so they become a sort of mobile bomb takes out all their friends uh that, that kind of stuff the sort of stuff that yeah you totally saw people making videos of for dishonored and dishonored too uh it's actually sort of a game that encourages that sort of play i, I can imagine there would be some really awesome sort of awesome games done quick style speedruns of this game that will just look amazing and be widely shared uh it's also a kind of single player it's, it's, it's more single player than i thought um mm. I, th- I, I thought initially mistakenly that it was going to be a kind of online session game or something where you right. drop you into a level and you could choose to face an assassin who is also hunting you but it seems like it's actually a single player game uh but sometimes the assassins hunting you will be played by a human player uh and that seems dynamics depending on who's available to play that person it seems yeah it's like it's almost like a dark souls invasion right like, right yeah um because that's the other thing that can end your run is being killed by the assassin who has your powers which um just seems super cool like i really liked all the pieces i described but um and it was nice as well that this video is narrated by uh dinga bakabo who i think is like creative director on that game now he was a senior designer i believe on dishonored 2 i interviewed okay. him when i went to went to arcane and um to see that game when it was revealed and um it's just a team you know is super invested in like a very particular vision for like how to design game worlds and, and how to create play spaces within them and uh, I didn't realize that, it, you know, it's been a while since that team did its thing. Hmm, and it's yeah. really exciting to see them do it. And and the fact that, like, they're adopting, you know, the, so there's, like, quite a lot of loot, quite a lot of grabbing weapons and things. And then, like, there's, you know, it seems to be, like, an upgrade currency or something that you can acquire that allows you to, like, save certain guns between runs, for example. Yeah, so yeah. sort of this roguelite kind of progression thing. But that combined with a... 
like using the outer wild structure of you go and you try something and you fail and you go back to the beginning and you reset and applying that to functionally like a dishonored or a hitman game seems like awesome to me like it seems like such a great combination of things like time loop hitman is such a good pitch yeah it's super smart actually um it's it's probably the game i'm most looking forward to this year after that trailer um up there probably maybe equal with battlefield but i'm definitely going to pick it up uh i can't say that about much else no, it's it's like I think I think we know. I think the last time we spoke about games was coming out of E three, right? And I think a lot of the stuff that jumped me out of E three was like E three was fun to the extent that it got me excited about a whole bunch of games, including actually, I'll be fair, Arcane's other thing, um, you know. Um, but the but a lot of the games that I kind of came away with a really tangible sense of like, yeah, I'll play that were very much kind of like old familiar things, right? Mm-hmm. Battlefield, yeah. Halo, etc. And this feels like something that like, um. I have a feeling, a good feeling about, like I have a good feeling that it will, it will surprise me, which is something nice to look forward to. It really is. Did you watch, did you watch the trailer for the Death Stranding director's cut? <laughs> no, I didn't. Because it's fucking how mental. It? Uh, how, it's... how much more crazy could it be than the So, the well, um, so there's like, you kind of get, oh, okay, cool. They've added a cannon. Fine. Uh, that what? you can fire cargo out of. They've added a, a ramp for doing sick jumps. There's like a robot, which is a bit like the like a two-legged version of the Boston Dynamics big dog thing. Cool. Um, and it makes a kind of yodeling, whooping sound <laughs> as it runs around. It may make any fucking sense. And then I was like, okay, fine. You know, this is all fairly logical, like, you know, just uh, Death Stranding expansion pack stuff. And then the, at the end, it's just like, Leia say do kart racing. <laughs> what? I, you heard me. But so you could drive, you could drive stuff in the original game. There wasn't a huge amount of course to because you had to build roads to be in really that effective. So uh, cart racing, cart racing, cart racing with with tracks and times and cart racing. Like imagine the interface for a cart racing game where you pick the cart racing track, right? Hmm. That. Um, Why? Uh, what, what, I, I was about to. And you appear you to be racing exclusively against Leia Sedu. <laughs> okay <laughs> kind of into that Fuck it. that sounds good yeah. <laughs> that sounds i mean sure why not yeah all right okay i mean i i think is i i don't think any of these things is sufficient to kind of reignite my enthusiasm for it after i drifted away from it originally and I drifted away from it the moment i lost a fight and had to redo anything <laughs> yeah fair. um because that's maybe just where i was at i want to go back in actually yeah i've just realized i do want to go back in all it took was kart racing. All it took was kart, kart racing, but also um, I'd like to play it on PC. Mm. Just because it, it is a gorgeous game. It's be really beautiful and sort of mournful. I feel like I could get good kind of little 40-minute sessions with Death Running on PC where occasionally, you know, this familiar experience of hiking through Iceland is occasionally broken up by a kart race. I, I, I could see space for my life for that. So I, I, I'm curious. Also, the... There might be loads of fun kind of Kojima Easter eggs and things in there that might be quite funny. I'm sure there will be. I think, I suspect the kart racing, this is my guess, this is a complete guess, but I suspect it's going to be some kind of like virtual reality thing you do from your bedroom in, you know, the bunker where from which you deliver your parcels or whatever, mm. right? And I know, I can imagine really viscerally the feeling of having just spent three hours on the couch <laughs> doing Leia Sidhu's kart racing and then logging out of that in the game to check my in-game emails, I procrastinating from doing my in-game delivery job, 
and then switching the game off for another year. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely 100% imagine that. I'm yeah. glad we had shit like this exists, but I, know, I don't know if I'll just, have the time. You just know that it's going to tie into the whole kind of like system in the game as well, isn't it? Mm. Will raise gets gets special likes, build up your reputation, not just as a carrier saving the world and reuniting humanity strand by strand, but also you fucking fast around a corner. People love it. Yeah, I mean, and and I am really aware of someone who bats off the stranding a bit, and I, I'm aware that people do love it. That I might be missing something, and that maybe kart racing is of much deeper significance to the story than I was aware because I didn't finish it. So I want to hang a caveat off it, like before, obviously people get upset. Um, if the answer all along was like kart racing is what will reunite America, then a <laughs> I I believe that, and yes. b I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's a, that's a must buy now for me. Good. That's my that's why Christmas sorted then. Bit of death loop. Yeah. So yeah, it's called something like Fragile Cart or something mm-hmm. like that. It pops up because isn't her name Fragile? Her yeah, character. It is. Guess why? Cool. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Oh, uh, good. Um, we should talk about some games we've been playing, maybe. Unless there's any other news. I don't think no, that sounds good to me. Yeah. What have you cool. been playing, Chris? Um, I played two things, so maybe I can talk about the first one. So. Sure. Um, uh, I will. Uh, the first one is going to be something I played that has a uh, that I'm aware has been sort of floating around for a while, and I hadn't heard about it until recently. And then I sort of discovered it and went back in sort of in time through articles going back to 2016 about this really, really fascinating um, indie horror driving game. Effectively, imagine the the PT of European Truck Simulator. Oh, that's a, um, a game called Beware. Have you heard of this? No, not really, actually. It's so much up the various alleys of people on this pod that I'm actually surprised that we missed it and mm. a little bit ashamed. But basically, it's a one-man project, as far as I'm aware, um, or at least yeah, you know, it's, it's led by uh, a guy called Andres Fadlena. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who initially started building the game, um, sort of. I think he also is a filmmaker and things like this. Started building the game out of kind of curiosity and interesting driving games, but also specifically to try and recreate the experience of um, fleeing communist Czechoslovakia. And being pursued by the secret police, effectively, and uh, it has evolved over time. There is currently it's not out yet, and I think uh, he has said that it will be out until twenty twenty two. But there's a free demo that is available, and the game just got a new trailer, and it was a new trailer that I became aware of, and then I ended up digging back and, and finding the demo. And so, what it is is a um, atmospheric driving game where you are driving a sort of battered old car in the darkest of night through kind of European countryside. And it has the most, there's no UI or anything like that. It's just dashboard light, first person driving in the dark. You can switch the wipers on, you can switch the lamps on. Um, and um, it's it's absolutely phenomenally atmospheric and something that will leap out the moment you even see any footage of it. Absolutely, inc- like the actual assets of the game are fairly rudimentary. But there's just incredible use of lighting, uh, color, um, sound, and like sort of um, effects. Effectively, diffuse lighting, the the way light reflects through the um, windscreen against the surface of a wet road, the way that you rely on your rearview mirror to see things behind you, and the way that, that limits your vision. All of this stuff makes it like incredibly um, evocative and claustrophobic. Like there's there's there is as as you know I think it's a fairly shared experience like driving at night is a fairly hypnotic thing, right? Like it can be very dreamlike and hypnotic anyway. Yeah. And the way that it combines that with um it's like 
it's like it takes the experience of driving through the countryside at night and then that little you know fortunately for you know for me at least the, the sort of the imaginative this has always been an imaginative thing that brain of like what if that car behind us really was following us mm. and that little sort of way you can spook yourself out kind of creep yourself out with those thoughts it kind of takes that that paranoia and kind of runs with it in really interesting that's a fantastic ways. idea for a game it's so good like it's car horror which is so <laughs> yeah, that cool. is a th- genre though <laughs> right right um and um where it where it actually fits as a game um it reminds me of a few things actually it, it's it's aesthetic level uh you know raises it's it's quite a large open world space that you learn to navigate there's no map or anything else that's just very much easy to get lost and really the extent of the demo is a sort of phase by phase mystery or a series of experiences essentially that do stitch together there is a way to finish it uh, it doesn't necessarily feel that way um, most of the time it will end when something bad happens to you and the screen goes black and just a tiny text in the center of the screen says death and that's it. Hmm. Um, that's what it ends in. That's not really a spoiler. It's just, it's just about, you know, and, and I think, um, I had a dual experience of it. I played it a, a bunch, um, just loved the way it felt. Didn't necessarily find myself understanding it very well, finding things I didn't understand how they fit together or how to progress. And I think there's probably a lot of mileage in digging into the mystery of that and trying to solve it. But then what I did is the, the developers actually put a full walkthrough of the demo on, on YouTube with no commentary, just him playing through it. And so I ended up watching that just to see how it fits together, just to make sure that I understood kind of what it was doing. And it is ultimately a very simple kind of, you know, step by step, go, you know, um, progression through the maps as a series of actions you can do in a certain order that unlock things. But the way that is accompanied by moments of kind of fear and escalation and the music is amazing as well. Like it's, it's really, really super cool um notes um it the things it reminded me of in a way it has the same bones just structurally as something like those really old slenderman games you know mm-hmm. where really it was just an open world usually low res you know a pretty a pretty shitty forest and maybe there's a spooky man in it and you've got to run between four spots before the spooky man goes blah right yeah. That's really its bones, but it's just, it achieves so much with that, like just in terms of your kind of atmosphere. And um, um, the other thing it reminded me of a little bit, because it's focused on like countryside horror, is so you're being hunted, even though the aesthetic is completely different. Yeah. It has the same sort of sense of like searchlights across a moor, uh, which is a very specific form of like rural spook. Um, and so uh, I would thoroughly recommend people check out the the demo um, because I, I can't really see a reason not to, or even just watch it on YouTube because it does look and, and feel extraordinary. But the really nice thing is the trailer that you just put out shows kind of how far that concept has come since, and it makes me really excited for the game to come as well. Uh, effectively, like the, the 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 new trailer shows various areas from the game, and it's sort of branched out from countryside to these like incredibly this sort of these like sort of um, hyper real or sort of exaggerated, like, post-Soviet industrial zones and, like, Sweet. you know, rain-swept, what look like, airfields, like, in in the dark and being hunted by just some scary fucking trucks that oh, sort of pull yeah. onto the road from the side. Like, in the demo, you, you do get chased. And it's it's kind of builds itself as a bit of, like, a car chase game as well, which, again, I just sort of love as a concept because having played resi recently and and i'm I'm so interested in this kind of game anyway horror games struggle 
to manifest, to, to really make a chase feel like a chase. And it's so interesting how taking mechanics from a completely different genre, in this case, the driving game or the driving action game, the GTA car chase, and applying that to a horror game um, with very detailed physics and so on, is like, that's kind of brilliant, right? Like, if the thing you want to achieve is a scary chase and you can do scary, then taking your chase mechanics from a genre that's really good at it and a setting and a medium that's really good for it is, is really very clever. I really, really like it. It's really smart. Uh, have you ever seen Duel? No. Duel is a 1971 sort of horror film, basically. I think it's Spielberg, actually, one of Spielberg's earliest. And uh, it is almost entirely without dialogue. And it's just a guy in America going between petrol stations who uh, is just suddenly followed by this huge, ominous brown truck. Hmm. And it's just always there behind him. And he, he's always kind of, he, at the first sort of glance, he has that thing where he's glancing in his rearview mirror. Um, and he thinks he might have sort of made eye contact with the driver at the, the last stop or something like that, or somehow maybe pissed this guy off. And initially you think, oh, he thinks he's being paranoid. But, you know, through the acting and through the way that the, the, this enormous, horrifying truck slowly behaves and closes in on him, you realize that, oh, this is actually a chase. And that, that the transition from that, the horror of that, is it feels like it's just a, such a rich kind of untapped vein of uh, taking this everyday occurrence of uh, driving between places and being surrounded by people who are in control of killer vehicles and having yeah. trust in in the fact that your life is in their hands as much as it is in your own. Uh, I think that 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 realizing something like that as an interactive experience is, is this extremely worthwhile endeavor. Actually, uh, I can't I can't think of many games that even come close to that. I know you've got stuff like Jalopy. But that seems to be more like a kind of familial adventure about a thing that breaks down all the time. And it's right. Well, thing. I mean, that's that's interesting because it's like Jalopy takes the um, takes takes the notion of a, of a driving game and then applies uses it as a storytelling medium. Right. Mm. Um, there's there's been a few games that have done that, and it feels like horror was just sort of lurking there as a really striking possibility. And mm. like, man, it it reminds me of it has the kind of I fucking love a, a lonely wasteland horror shot, right? Mm. And like that sense of space and the sort of like, you know, like sort of driving on a lonely evening. And the other thing it reminded me of, I think it's because the soundtrack, the soundtrack is is really, really awesome, like sort of ambient um, sort of accompaniment that changes based on the scenario you find yourself in. Um, it just reminded me of some of the sort of like landscape sort of driving sequences from under the skin. Oh, have right, you seen yeah. that film? Yeah, yeah like not no, nothing like that in terms of what's actually happening, but something of that sort of um, road horror kind of feel, right? Where there's a there's a, there's a journey kind of implicit in it. Oh, I just really loved it. I really really like it. It's beyond beware. Sorry, it's, it's the name of the game. Beware, so really, awesome. yeah. Kind of reminds All me of caps. Um, again. I think it's sort of in a similar vein, obviously quite different tonally. Not to be mixed up with Steven Spielberg's Jewel. Uh, it's called Fuel. <laughs> which is <laughs> a racing game uh, where you drive around. I think it's, again, it's, it's sort of North America, but it's been it's a post-apocalyptic version of it where there are tornadoes and things and you're largely alone and occasionally involved in races, I think. But I remember reading lots of, uh, lots of writers talk about it as a kind of, not meditative experience, but a kind of a, a better experience as a kind of being present in that landscape in a vehicle. And maybe even yeah. like uh, the, the uh, relatively recent Mad Max game, which is ostensibly just a, a very fairly rote third-person game where you drive around and then um, climb towers to sync with stuff and then 
brutalize people with the crowbar uh but apparently the actual sort of driving in between places bit is is its own is its own kind of lovely experience not lovely but i know it's no, no, very evocative about driving a vehicle across an empty landscape maybe shadow of the colossus like the, those long horse riding sections between the actual colossi themselves uh have really stuck with people so anything that sort of taps into that and then uh, especially directed in a horror direction as well is yeah sounds awesome beware yeah beware um like yeah like i say demos free uh the creator has a patreon which i'll definitely look into um and check out the trailer as well because it's um i i just like saw it and i was immediately like what the fuck is this <laughs> <It's> incredible <laughs> it's it, it, yeah really really impressive what have you been playing tom i've been playing shin megami tensei knock three nocturne remastered i think i think that's all the words in that uh in that title I, I... <laughs> is is i think that's all the words in that title like the final banner at the bottom of the title <laughs> <laughs> maybe the, maybe the remastered director's cut version has added more yeah uh this is shin megami tensei series is a long-running jrpg series uh which features strange almost like freudian demons that you end up both befriending and battling as normally kind of an ordinary citizen of the world thrown into an, uh, an apocalyptic event. That's the kind of through line of, of Shin Megami Tensei series. I think a lot of uh, players in the current moment will be more familiar with the Persona series, which is a spin-off of this. Mm. And the Persona games are designed to be uh, more kind of cheerful and palatable and basically trade on uh, high school drama as a, a framework to actually put you in contact with these demons and a lot of the kind of uh, struggles that you have involve demons in everyday life who are, you know represent adults in positions of power they shouldn't be corrupt adults in uh, positions of power that need to be brought yeah. down and removed their demonic influence uh shin megami tensei kind of strips that back and it just makes it more of a kind of uh raw you as a, an ordinary citizen of the world versus the kind of rank evil underneath everything um, which is mm. expressed very directly in shin megami tensei 3 nocturne remastered uh, in the opening 10 minutes where I think you are a high school student again, but uh, the world almost immediately ends and it <laughs> ends in such a cool and weird way that I instantly had to put another 40 hours into it <laughs> just to sort of see how it would pan out. Uh, you sort of go up to a rooftop and exchange some very strange, have a very ex- strange ex- exchange with a teacher who suggests that she, she'll see you on the other side. You've just met a guy who looks a lot like Nick Cave in a basement. Uh, who's cackling about the end of the world um and he you know sort of bids you farewell but you survive the apocalypse uh, and you get to see it happen what happens is you're in the middle of tokyo and the entire all, all the corners of tokyo start folding upwards around you uh and as lightning strikes everything from a giant orb of energy in the middle uh essentially erasing most of humanity uh, rendering them ghosts who you eventually talk to uh, and unleashing the demons that were sort of latent uh latently present there all along um i was like it's it's weird to see this is way before inception or something like that but just the the mm. image of just a, a city folding in and in on itself and that being an apocalypse and then you're left in this sort of uh, devastated world trying to find some purpose and uh you end up kind of moving between different devastated old malls and schools that have uh, mm. been become overrun by different factions of demons who want to do different things with the apocalypse and you know what this really really reminded me of um what's the detective game that came out uh last year in the really strange 
world where there's been a murder and you have to solve the murder mystery. Paradise Killer. That's the one. Paradise, yes. I was... Yeah. There's, to me, there's no way that people who made Paradise Killer did not play Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne to death. <laughs> because it feels so, so mm, similar to me. Cool. Uh, and the, that uh, Paradise Killer is also about a series of different kind of almost different godlike forces uh, playing with mortals and you know using them for their own ends and trying to remake the world in their preferred image. Uh, and this uh, this game is exactly about that too. Um, and what's kind of really interesting about it is how just addictively bleak it all is. And it's one of the reasons why I think it was originally a PS2 game. Mm. Remaster is basically just uh, runs a bit faster, and it, you know everything is at a higher resolution. But fundamentally, the way it's been created, like it, it, the the vacant, samey corridors, is like it, you wouldn't want them to add any detail or change the art style at all from its very basic origins, because it actually captures the sense of an abandoned hospital or an abandoned school mm. uh, or an abandoned mall uh, absolutely perfectly. And it's one of those occasions where, like, I think the limitations of the original graphics engine has created something that is, is so evocative and in and chimes so perfectly with the themes of the thing that it's it will like I think forever stand on its own without any sort of requirement of having to be updated or upgraded or changed in any way. Nice. Um, as an RPG, it's, it's also a really good RPG, uh, a really kind of technical, gritty RPG. Uh, you, it's a, it's a turn-based party system. But the your party members you capture from the enemies that you face, so that, mm. uh, you can make pact with the demons that that you meet in combat, and you often have to pay them and kind of bribe them with items, and then sometimes you have to make it to a conversation and sort of build a rapport with them. It's not that advanced. A couple of questions, mm. like get the right answers, and they'll join you. But nonetheless, it's it's um, it creates this brilliant thing where it's, if a demon really messes you up. It's like, oh, well, that's sad. I'm dead now. I have to restart. But I also want to capture that demon. I want everything that that demon can do. And also the demons look flipping weird. <laughs> like, they look so, <laughs> so, so strange. Uh, and people who have played the Persona series probably have just kind of, like, coasted through those games and been like, well, that's a weird-looking thing. That's a, that, looks, <laughs> that, looks like, uh, that looks like a devil riding a giant penis. Uh, there's, there's just explicitly a kind of dick chariot <laughs> monster in the game. <laughs> and if you go back to Shimigami Tensei, that, that's where it all comes from. <laughs> it's kind mm. of weird that they've actually... There's, there's one where there's just a, a demon on the toilet. Uh, <laughs> and the toilet's just fixed to it. it it's bum, and it's sitting there. and it's, it's, It always looks, like, dejected and, and sick of everything. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would be. Uh, and he's just kind of resting his chin in his hands. He's just, like, very, you know, occasionally he'll try and mess you up with a fire spell. Um, and the, all those designs come from Shimigami Tensei. And they're actually kind of always reminds me like silent hill 2 where the monster design actually is supposed to uh, represent some sort of sordid or deeply tedious aspect of human experience <laughs> visually represent yeah. that um and there are some like very typical designs like angels and blind devils and that kind of thing succubuses that kind of stuff mm-hmm. also it's just that super odd stuff <laughs> it's like well they you really did not turn down any monster design that was proffered <laughs> the creation <laughs> of this like, not, like the, whatever the kind of yes the green lighting process for this uh, the green light was always on for <laughs> everything <laughs> every sheet of paper that went, went to uh, you know decision makers uh, and i do really like that because you go to a new area and you just sort of fight what it appears to be sort of floating crossword puzzle or something. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll have you. Thank you very much. And then you get to a conversation with it. And it's like, 
do you think freedom of man is a curse, really? What do you think about it? And you're like, no, freedom is brilliant. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I'll join you. And <laughs> you know, I appreciated that exchange. And also now I get to YouTube in combat. It's got a very detailed weakness system, almost like an elemental weakness system uh, with a really clever mechanic where if you hit someone's weakness, your team gets a free action. And mm. so you build these chain combos and you become better at the game by understanding what is strong and what is weak against different elements. It's basically a bit like Pokemon in that respect. In fact, it's a lot like Pokemon structurally because you are actually capturing these things and, and leveling them up and then occasionally fusing them by mashing them spiritually into one entirely new form uh, in an incredibly violent <laughs> cutscene, which actually, yeah, the Persona games have taken that and run with it. Like you literally slot them into guillotines and stuff in Persona. Um, and uh, yeah, I wanted to shout it out as kind of something that uh, if you like the sound of any of that, this is the sort of an auto wish list, I think, on Steam. Yeah. Just look for it, it'll pop up in the Steam sale, and it's just worth it just to, even if you just play it for like nine or ten hours, just to experience the weirdness of it and the vibe of it and the strange the combat system, the strange creatures that you meet. Uh, I've, I've actually stuck with it for longer because I'm very curious about what the different factions actually want to do with humanity and what kind of world they want to create. And I want to, you know, decide who I want to throw my lot in with, which seems to be the, you know, the ultimate decision in the game. Uh, so yeah, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne Remastered. Nice. It's got a thumbs up from me. It's cool and weird. That is cool. And I'm so glad that so many of these games are coming to PC now and Steam. You know, like just the accessibility. I think what, Shin Megami Tensei 3 is from like 2003 or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really pretty old now. And it's uh, these re-releases, uh, obviously it's a great way for the developers to keep making money out of them, but also it does preserve them. And Yes, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I remember, I think it was like early last year or the year before or something, um, like a really classic anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion, came yeah. to Netflix. And mm. I, I hadn't seen it before, and, and but like a generation of people who tuned into that show, like it's part of the, the kind of anime canon that they grew up with. Um, but I ended up having like all these conversations with the people who are just discovering it for the first time, and it might as well have been made yesterday. It's so yeah, weird; right. it kind of eats itself in such an interesting, strange, meta way. Uh, mm. It felt like a, its own cultural event, just by being, and it was the re-release. And there's no; it's kind of I love the idea of cultural artifacts that get a new lease of life each time they're released. And obviously, it's though it's a function of capitalism as well. Obviously, you, it's the thing that can keep money making money forever. But it also, it has a cultural weight a different cultural angle each time it resurfaces in a different societal situation yeah, so yeah. things people draw out of evangelion today would be different from 10 years ago or 20 years ago and the same is true for uh shin Megami tensei and persona and a lot of these re-released rpgs these re-released old games um, yeah and it, that, they carry with them as well the kind of novelty of old rendering techniques and old kind of low poly technologies and even just uh, old sprites uh which leads me to sort of think about the planned pixel re-release of final fantasy 6 and a lot of the early final fantasies uh, which recently which had been re-released already but they were run through this horrendous engine that kind of uh smoothed out all the graphics and ruined all of the kind of personality of the original pixel art and they're bringing it back and now they're like yeah we're actually gonna we're gonna preserve the pixel art you loved and they the first trailer they released was absolutely slammed because the fonts were horrible <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's just really interesting to see these old these old art styles because of resurface and the different reactions that people have to them anyway that that was a massive tangent wasn't it but yeah no, no, it's, no, it's I, relevant because it's yeah like releases. it's good yeah i think you know uh, i understand the desire to play things as they were and the effort that goes into that sort of emulation but at the same time i think accessible re-releases of like these games otherwise people may not have encountered um 
particularly like relatively niche JRPGs from the early noughties where like, mm. you know, not going to be that accessible to anyone um, who isn't really seeking that stuff out is good. It's a good thing. Is it, We've identified a good thing about the year 2021. Hey. Hey. Um, that and the scary car game. Um, what was it? What else did you play, Chris? Was, was that also? So, good? yeah, no, so the other thing, um, and so uh, I'm going to blow your mind now by having a hot take about Ooh. Tetris. <laughs> whoa, 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 no. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't have a fucking hot take about Tetris. There's really no, no, nothing to be said about it. I guess, but I'm going to do so anyway. Yeah, because that's the the demands of this medium. Um, so I, I sort of, um, I think is as we've said a few times, like a bit of a sort of you know different mixed relationship of games nowadays. Like I'm, I have really, um, I don't know what it is. I, I sort of click between escapisms in my life. I think and my kind of MMO circuit has reduced to nil. Like I haven't touched Destiny in a long time. haven't touched WoW in a, in a long time. Mm. And part of that is because of other hobbies, the predictable ones kind of having, you know, being the thing that focuses my attention, but also just not feeling that compelled by, by my traditional games orbit. And Chivalry stuck around. I love Chivalry too, quite hey. a bit. Really, really like it. But I found myself, um, I found myself like looking for something to play, like literally, like which is not a situation you often find yourself in when you got tons of games, right? But like, um, and I realized, like many people probably do every now and then, uh, oh shit, I pay for Game Pass. <laughs> huh, yes. I wonder what's on Game Pass. So I tried the new um, Baldur's Gate: Dark Alliance, i.e., the game with the greatest trailer of all time, um, when someone stuck a GoPro on Dritzt. Um <laughs> But then I realized that it's, it's, eh. but then I realized that another game with the greatest trailer of all time, and I mean it this time, um, was in that set, which is Tetris Effect, um, uh, yes. which I did not play when it came out on PlayStation in 2018, I think, or 2019. Um, so Tetris Effect um, is, it's fancy Tetris. Don't know what else to tell you. It's fancy Tetris, but it was announced at I think the Sony conference at E3 in 2018 with genuinely the best games trailer I've ever seen. Um, I think it is legitimately flawless. The trailer is simply a short speech about the Tetris effect, which is the observed effect by which Tetris lingers in your brain after you've played it. Mm. Um, the way that it kind of sort of imprints itself on your uh, subconscious and the way that that effect is resistant even to things like um, pathological memory loss. Um, people can forget they played Tetris and remember Tetris, which is an incredible thing to be true. Mm, yeah. Um, um, it's uh, over a very moody, atmospheric, um, moody pop song as someone plays Tetris against some sort of spectacular, um, new agey sort of you know laser dolphin backdrops. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I feel like everyone who's ever played a video game will know what I mean when I say <laughs> new agey, la- new agey laser dolphin backdrop. Um, in space, the nebula, and uh, it's it's great. The trailer is amazing, and so I was glad to finally get around to playing the game. And I've had a really strange, confounding journey with the game Tetris. Um, so I feel like I should do the boilerplate stuff. Like it's a it's a fairly full featured Tetris game, um, with uh, a new gimmick called I think Zone, where you can charge up a bar that lets you stop time. And then for as long as time is stopped, every line that you clear um, moves to the bottom rather than vanishing immediately. And this, and then all clears at once when time resumes. So what this allows you to do is move beyond the Tetris. It allows you to clear many lines at once. You can get a, an oct, you know, an oct 
Tetris or a Dodecatris or, or whatever. It's very exciting. Um, that's that's good. And then the other side of it is it's it's by the team that did um, Res Unlimited. So it has that vibe. It has, you know, that sort of... It's funny. I both love this vibe. And the more I see it, the more I appreciate that it is somewhat like a little bit of a kind of um, a bit tropey in some ways. There's this notion of the journey into the soul via puzzle game that <laughs> games like to take you on. You know, we're going to journey to the soul and we're going to journey there from space because that is where the soul is or is space inside the soul. That's the first of many questions which will be posed uh, by a dolphin. Um, and there'll be a dolphin. There'll be some be some aquatic imagery probably at some point we're going to go on a, a little tour a light touch tour of world culture and the sound effects will change um and i love this stuff and i also see the the i see the sort of the stage management of it now somewhat uh, and it is very much that and the state so each of the stages has new music new sound effects new blocks new visuals new everything you can play it in vr for maximum laser dolphin mm. tetris experience and it is initially um, a very good mix of Tetris, which is a naturally very meditative experience, so much so that it, as I say, imprints itself in your consciousness, which is what the game is named for. And this imagery, this changing, evolving imagery that is just a pleasant sort of um, absorbing aesthetic experience. And that initial state, I had a stress for a couple of weeks, I found it almost like kind of transportive in a very kind of, in a way that I had not found from a game in a while. And I'd never really like tried to get good at Tetris in, in the past. And so that side of things was sort of of interest to me. I discovered what felt like a profound thing, which is that I felt profound at the time before I realized how dumb it is. Um, that I think instinctively, I don't want to make a mistake in Tetris. I want to set up my blocks of four to clear. And then when I get my big straight line, clear them and do that consistently and never things let things get out of control. And you never see make mistakes and that's frustrating and, and you're, your, your rows and your, your 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 pile of blocks is becoming unmanageable. And then I realized that my favorite experience in Tetris is solving that. And I don't know what that means about <laughs> me, but it felt profound at the time because the, I could see, I could see a nebula. And that meant the experience I was having was profound. And some nice sort of moody indie pop was singing about connections or something or um about how we are the legends we were born to be or something like this was happening and i i was like wow yeah maybe i am but maybe you get there by fixing your mistakes not by never making a mistake <sighs> you know it was big but then the thing that happened the game has some absolutely staggering difficulty spikes yeah which is a <laughs> which is a wild thing to happen in a tetris game about transcending your physical form and, and following a dolphin into the depths of your own fucking you know psychosphere or something um and and so i went to i did this huge 180 and i was like fuck tetris and <laughs> you know how dare you have this how dare you set up this meditative experience and then make me do a test you know um and um this culminated in the last level which is a fuck you it, it's a fuck you because suddenly it's it's a it's a stage which has a really chill kind of like backdrop, but you have to you have to clear ninety lines rather than normal like thirty six you'd normally be doing on a normal difficulty stage, and the first thirty are quite fast, the second thirty are very slow, and the last thirty are extremely fast, 
And that is the most frustrating way to design that. Like, even if you take the principle of clear 90 lines total, they'll be in blocks of 30 and the speed will change. I think pretty much every other version of this is less frustrating than that. There's a version of it where it starts slow and gets faster, at which point you fail at the moment where your own capacity gives out. And you just keep pushing that barrier. You just keep pushing further and further until you finally do it because your skill has improved. There's the version, which I would actually quite like, where it starts fast and then gets slower, almost like the game itself is coming to an end, delivering mm. you to some greater truth. You know, lets you lets you style on it a bit at the end. You're going to finish with it. You're not going to finish when you desperately fucking shoehorn a block somewhere it's probably not supposed to go to get that final line to barely survive the level. You're going to finish clean. It's going to feel good. It's going to be clarifying. It's going to make you feel like you've been inducted into something, and that you probably owe somebody money now. That's that's the that's the feeling that that you get. What they do instead is this thing where you do the first thirty, and if you fuck up there, you're like, ah, shit. Well, fuck it, I'll try again. Then you get to the second thirty, where you'll almost never fail, but it'll take ages because the lines are slow. And then you get to the final thirty, where you'll always fail if you're me, and um, and you'll be like, fuck this. And you also not really want to do the first two stages again because they're variously a bit hard and boring. And so I genuinely had this like, well, fuck this then. I'm not talking about it on the podcast. And then I kept playing it because there's a thing about Tetris, <laughs> which is it's Tetris. And I eventually, uh, I knocked the difficulty down initially to get through it. And then I was like, I've got to play me some more Tetris, a lot more Tetris. So I started playing online Tetris. I got into the battle mode. I then downloaded Tetris 99 for the Switch, which is Tetris Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. And now, and like today I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the campaign, which I was so kind of maligned, which has other modes and all, all the rest of it. And I'm going to play it on hard. And I was like, fucking smashing it. And I was like, fuck you, Tetris. You taught me to play Tetris, you monster. That was the <laughs> that was the truth lurking at the bottom of this kind of spiritual journey. It wasn't me. I wasn't that. My relationship with error wasn't the great truth I was going to derive from this. My sense of what you can do with an L-shaped block in an emergency is what was going to emerge from this. And it did. I had a great time, uh, uh, and honestly, but I've been angry for most of it. Tetris is a brutal game. Uh, Tetris 2020 World Championship. Mm. Uh, the the final was a, a hotly contested showdown between two brothers, one fifteen and <laughs> one thirteen, uh, which you can sort of see like the household escalation that happened <laughs> between <those> right. two <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> to reach this stage. The, the, the sheer force of, of brotherly competition has uh, led them both to see off all comers. Um, I can't remember which one won, but thank you for the excellent podcast. No such thing as a fish from the QI people who uh, yeah. had a, a whole section on Tetris. So it was absolutely fascinating. Someone I used to do improv comedy does that podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, Andy. That, uh, oh, he's great. He does yeah. the private eyes podcast as well. Sure. Mm. Also very good. Yeah. Good podcast. Small world. Cool world. Tetris. Mm. <laughs> Tetris, Tetris all the way down. And now that we've now we've made that line, I'll vanish. <laughs> but oh no, I was angled weirdly. Only my head remains, and it can it can keep talking. I'm an L shaped block, I guess. What kind of block are you? Um, probably that straight line one, but sideways. <laughs> just <laughs> just planking. Just planking all the way down. That's me. Yeah, just planking. Just planking. Did you uh, did you find uh, the effects in Tetris effect to uh, be distracting at all from the Tetris itself? Yes, but initially I confused that for the point. <laughs> yeah, I think I went through the same journey. Because <laughs> I've, I've read uh, people who are saying it was kind of almost transcendent experience. And I think uh, it could be. 
if it weren't for for the the fundamental irritation of the heart of Tetris, which is that it's a game about tidying up, and yeah, if you mess up a kind of blinds lower down, it's going to be messed up for a long time, and it's going to be staring you in the face with its irregularity and wrongness. And I always find that infuriating. And no amount of neon dolphins could fix that for me, Chris. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's like sitting down, lighting a candle, meditating, and then. I don't know, reorganizing your company's Kanban board or something, right? <laughs> like, and then because you're like, I can't solve this. I can't solve this. Why is that there? I can solve this. And then you sort of stress, you feel stressed out and you don't know what you came into the, this experience expecting, but it wasn't this. Um, <laughs> then you lose. Yeah. Cause, and cause yeah, it goes at twice the speed. Cause the sound <laughs> exactly. Speeds up. Yeah. Um, it's funny going going from Tetris Effect to Tetris Ninety Nine, which is much more of a classic Tetris game. Obviously, without the the, the Battle Royale twist, is is really fun actually as a mm. kind of way of playing Tetris. Um, but um, it's it, in other regards, it's classic Tetris, including the music. And like I know that the classic music does show up in Tetris Effect, but it almost feels like they stepped away from it. That kind of just the madness of that music, and <laughs> and I feel like what they what they achieved is like, man, this experience has some real dignity. There's some meaning here. I don't know what it is. But the the lady singing has convinced me that I'm having a transcendent experience, and then you go back to the to regular music, and it's like, no, this is what it this is what it actually sounds like in my head. Each of them a scream. Each of them a scream of, is this an optimal decision? I will never know. Fuck, 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 fuck. Can you make the actual sound of Tetris? Can you make the the fading noise the game makes on the original Game Boy? I don't know if I can. It's. <laughs> like an electric tiger yeah um i uh yeah i um i feel like this is so that sort of school of game like post res puzzle transcendence feels like it's really open to parody and no one's done it yet oh, like i feel like a tetris effect parody is kind of waiting to happen hmm. right where you're like mid you're really deep into the fucking sky ocean of your mind and like the dolphin just fucking swims off with your line block you wanted. And you're like, fuck, I want it to come back. And it just like flips you off and like swims off into the sky and explodes or something. I'd play that game. I want the one, I want to, I want the game of this where it gets weird, you know? Should be Rather the, than me disappointing Where you, you, go in, <laughs> you go in expecting transcendence and then suddenly it's 4am and you're vomiting all over yourself. <laughs> Chewing on a root in a hut. Exactly. Why? What did I think I would achieve? Right, because it's like there's such an overlap with like, like, it wants to be a trip, right? That's what it wants to be. Yeah, That's what sure. it wants to be, and it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> it is a trip, and it's a trip where halfway through the trip, someone's like, your tax returns due in like an hour, and you're like, <laughs> fuck, 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 and like, <laughs> and you're like, what did I make? I don't know. Just you know, like, um, but it is. It, I was going to say, like, it's nice that um, it's on Game Pass, and and there's like, I'm glad that that's kind of the venue in which I played it, right? It's like I, you know, I did, I forgot I was paying for this, and so if I've got this game, and I can, I can just try it, and that that was actually a really nice experience. So, on balance, I forgive it, I guess. I think it came out with like full price, full price for Eastern consoles, I think. Yeah, it's like forty pounds. It's a lot for Tetris, no matter how many how many dolphins you've got in there. It's a lot, I think. 
It, it is it is f- fancy Tetris though. It's it's boutique. Super fancy. It's mm, boutique artisanal. Tetris. It is it is it is artisanal hipster Tetris like that. You know, and that's a powerful pitch, right? It's like a it's like you're trying to teach yourself chess and you buy yourself the nice chessboard. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been there and done that. Mm, me too. It's natural. It's human it to to desire the fancy thing. Um, but yes, I don't beyond that have any comments on the design of the game tetris send us your thoughts indeed on the, the meditative aspects of tetris or the infuriating aspects of it it is amazing that there is something about the sorting those patterns into a box that is just deeply satisfying to the human brain on a level yeah. beyond language <laughs> and that is just obviously that's a genuine thing tetris effect is real i had a i had a really good moment of that where i felt like i had gotten past it because i was like you know i've been playing this a lot and i don't really get this anymore like i'm I'm not haunted by the game anymore. It hasn't cursed me um, because it did. Like I really got in my head and then I lay down in bed and our bed is um, sort of, uh, it's like many beds in a room Um, and it's got like headboard to the wall and then like space, narrow space either side. And I I just, I I immediately just thought I'm going to need two straights to do this. (laughs) I need two Chris's, one bent at a right angle. <laughs> exactly. I need one. I need. I need uh, it's like I'm gonna have to wait for two. I need a perfectly and... square, Chris. Exactly. That's all I need. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then I dreamed about it all night again. Yeah. So it's it been is. a weird week, but that's been the nature of it. Good times. Seems like a suspiciously good time to do questions, doesn't it? Agreed. Yeah. Shall we? Let's do it. The first question is actually a comment. But I'll read it out anyway. <laughs> First email comes from um, friend of pod and friend of me, Paul Canavan, who writes, uh, Hi, friends. I very much enjoyed Alex and Graham's musing about quake mapping and the impact of modern game engines on solo devs. I, I feel like I should read it in his voice, but I won't. Um, as a game art man and professional engine poker, I thought I'd weigh in on the topic. Game engines are really good now, he screams. Honestly, making games is far more approachable than it ever was. I grew up mapping for Quake, Half-Life, and Unreal, and couldn't wrap my head around the 3D software of the time. It was outrageously expensive and complicated. Nowadays, we have Blender, Unreal, Unity, and so many other high-end production packages available with free tiers. And thanks to the ludicrous amount of educational content available on YouTube, the barrier to entry is super low. To your point regarding technological constraints versus creativity, modern tech is actually making a lot of stuff easier Ray tracing is a great example. Game engines essentially cheat a lot of stuff and real-time lighting is super expensive. Um, Ray tracing will enable us to light levels in a much more realistic way without having to place hundreds of tiny lights everywhere. It should be a huge time saver and it's a lot more intuitive. Love the pod as always. Fangs are glistening. Paul, noted ray tracing enthusiast. Um, Yeah, just uh, I appreciate neither you or I, I think, run the the pod or Graham and I discussed this, but it's um i think the like the democratization of these tools and technologies is super cool actually generally speaking and yeah. um i i'm glad we're at a point where tech creep is raising the floor as well as the ceiling as you know if that mm. makes sense yeah uh, i've also i'm a big fan of ray tracing as a consumer now for new pc mm. stuff uh, doom eternal's just had an update that puts in loads of modern effects and it just looks so so good oh i um, should go back to that yeah it, it looks beautiful it, it runs on the i think it has dlss vm uh which is kind of like an anti-aliasing solution mm. using utilizing deep learning or something uh but yeah it just means the game runs incredibly fast as well as looking just 
ridiculous. I say this dangerously now, now that I work in game dev. I love not knowing what the fuck any of this stuff means <laughs> or how it works anymore. Like, I feel like there was a point when I kind of understood what was going on with graphics engines and so yeah. on. Not on a technical level, obviously, I'm not smart. But from a kind of, like, consumer standpoint, I sort of knew what different buttons would do. And now that I'm in a very fortunate position of having, as you are now, like a powerful PC that will do most things, I just switched them on. And I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, as far as I understand it, they have invented an AI that knows what things should be smooth. <laughs> That's the pitch as far as I understand it. And that's what yeah. I need to know. <laughs> exactly. On the consumer end to enjoy this. So it just sort of algorithmically understands something about humanity, which is what needs to be soft. Um, the gentlest robot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, control is great as well with all that stuff. Like control is lovely anyway. I just mm. love the way that game looks. Oh, yeah. There's, um, I don't know if we discussed the news that there's more control stuff coming from that universe. Uh, oh, cool. Their game. And, I don't think we did. Uh, there's a, a bigger in-depth single player thing. Nice. Uh, which I'm super, super happy about both of those because uh, that is a universe that I really want to spend more time in to the extent that I'm actually, I think I'm on my third playthrough of Control. There's something about that game that I really need. Yeah, <laughs> it's very know. compelling. It's, yeah, it's stuck, it is. it's stuck with me as well, though I haven't returned to it. Hmm. I, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Still think, I still think it was a bad name for a game, but... <laughs> hard to Google. Yeah, hard to Google, but nice to play. And really, is that not what matters? The smoothing robot would say yes. Um, Sean writes, assembled company. What is your favorite sound in video games? Failing that, your least favorite sound. Personally, I love the mip merp sound Dota makes when you try to attack a fortified tower. Happy <laughs> honking, Sean. I hope that was a decent impression. I think that mip merp is actually taken from Half-Life. I think it's one of those source engine sounds that oh, got right, yeah. kind of left in the game as kind of just a joke. Because I think it's, I think it's, it's one of the variant, like, you can't beep that noises from Half-Life. <laughs> Yeah, I think. I think I really like the sounds of eating in games. Mm. Often, often, it's one of the, it's weird because like obviously sounds of people eating in real life not so great. Um, I mean, I'll just take it or leave it. But video games, when it's like a, a sound engineer has really kind of paid a lot of attention to it and really kind mm. of beefed up the the crunchier, satisfying aspects of someone like just really determinedly biting through an apple or something. Uh, uh, that's always just a, a lovely sound. I like that. Something I love about working on a creative side of a game with a sound designer who's also a very committed Foley person is sometimes I can just say something in a meeting and like two days later, a Canadian man is punching some dog food. And there's like a direct, <laughs> there's like a direct like connection between those two events. And that's wonderful. That's I like awesome. that a lot. As to specific, as to specific um, connections, Man, it's one of those questions where, like, I always think about whenever we get asked, like, what's your favorite thing ever or your least favorite thing ever, I just think about the recent thing, right? Like, I find it so hard yeah. to kind of pull out, like, a sound effect of all time. I will say, actually, it's because I was reminded of it today. Um, uh, Deathloop has a very similar blink to Dishonored. It does. But the noise, the all of the sound design of Dishonored's blink from the kind of, like, um, sort of ethereal sound of it being held to the shoop of it kind of... Um, being activated is delicious uh, I, I, I like as in i would eat that sound effect if it if it had flavor i think it would be i think it would be minty and chocolatey therefore an arrow um <laughs> exactly um i really like i'm trying to think oh it's not a sound effect there's a, a map in chivalry 2 where chivalry 2 has so many fun different modes in in its in its maps but one of them begins with one team 
ransacking a field full of peasants who are played by the members of the other team who are prevented just for that moment until they die from playing as their actual kitted out characters. They have to play shitty peasants with pitchforks and stuff. And it's very funny. And there's a chance it doesn't always trigger, but at the beginning of that map, they have these like cinematic kind of pans at the beginning, the beginning of the map, it pans from the village to the field and up to the army approaching over the hill. And as it finally finishes its pitch, one of the peasants turns to another one and says, thanks for nothing, Jeffrey, and slaps him in the face. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, but it's genuinely one of my favorite stupidest details um, uh, that uh, in anything, really, I love it to death. It's not really a sound. I guess it is a sound effect, but uh, wonderful. Loved it very much. I love good tree box. They're also, um, I love the sound of, I think this might be a battlefield noise or it might be. Uh, in one of Tripwire's games, like Red Orchestra, it's the sound of mm. um, just a, a shell casing coming out of a, a single shot rifle and going, the swing noise as it kind of spits off out to, you know, out of view. Ka-ching. Yeah, that's a good one. A yeah, I should. Type of noise. Really nice. The um, the Battlefield Tank Cannon Crunch. It's a good one. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Any any game, most games nail the lightsabers, I would say, noise-wise. Um, mm. So I, I really like the sound of the lightsaber in um, Fallen Order as well. Another game I keep playing over and over again. Yeah, I like. Um, it's an obvious one, but almost all the quake sounds. I think we've done that bit oh, yeah. before, but like uh, they're very evocative to me. The tinniness of a half-life grenade lobbed across an open room. <laughs> like you know, we know that was like, almost poetic. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, the the way that like. Half-Life's explosions have this like slightly metallic edge to them. Like, hmm. like there's a I, I will never accurately describe a sound. There's a certain like they're not very earthy, right? They're not very bass heavy. They're kind of they, there's a lot of like they're quite tinny in a way, like both in in, in the sense of they're being quite high pitched and also this sort of like strange resonant sort of um wang to them, I guess. Like there's a sort of cold robotic wang. It's a, yeah, um, that's very very pinned in my brain a lot of half-life sounds i think it's because it's such a formative 3d game for me mm-hmm. like when i was first in immersive worlds the um the the sort of uh sound that the drones in city 17 make when they mm-hmm. photograph you that's another oh yeah classic it's a good one any uh, sounds that really really annoying i can think of it's it's i feel bad about actually that one because sometimes often it's in really small like indie games where mm. the footsteps are really annoying or something like that. Yeah, persistence that you have to live with. Uh, but I can't think of a specific one to quite actually call out. No, I don't think I can think of a least favourite to call out. Um, no, That's I don't think I have a. Yeah, good, I don't think good I have job a sound designers everywhere. Yeah, yes, they are the yeah absolute heroes. Um, and I, 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 I sometimes one of those things I'm really happy to appreciate in games, right? Like, yeah. just. It's, it's when done well it's so good um next question comes from brian who writes greetings fellow olds regarding your discussion in episode 373 about getting older and your changing relationship with games i was wondering do you know what the demographic is for cnc i'm 37 with two young children i very much agree with chris and tom s about their gaming habits these days um following on a similar thread um do you guys ever go back and explore old games you may have missed Alex is having a good time with his mister, or he has been traditionally. Um, does anyone else also go back to their earlier days? These days I often find myself playing old games I missed or even something I've played before. 
I've turned into my parents watching 1950s TV shows, except I play games from the 90s and noughties. Also, being that I'm a crotchety old man now, I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear you guys talk about older games more often. Thanks, Brian. Well, you're in luck, Brian. Have you heard of Tetris? <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy going back to old games. Mm. Uh, really, really enjoy it. And um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to go back to uh, even just like adventure games I've solved before. I'll go back to it. I was really delighted when Grim Fandango was re-released. Mm. And uh, just the nostalgia of kind of walking through those Mexican Day of the Dead in the initial kind of uh, the initial scenes. And um, then I think it goes a bit pants towards the end. And this is always a bit where I just stop. There's one particular puzzle where I just stop. Um, yeah. And just, I'm like, yeah, good. I, I, I get exactly the same hit of fun from that game every single time I play it, which is really, really nice. Guaranteed nice. fun. Yeah. I tend not to Tetris, obviously. But like, I think I think the way my relationship with games has changed is is more in the sense of actually wanting novelty. Like, I want to see the new things that people are excited about. And my favorite experiences the last couple of years have always been things that are new. Basically, hmm. um, I haven't even gone back to like the Mass Effect remaster or something like that. Um, I feel like my time now is like I don't I I, I play I'm playing a little bit less, and so I want the experience that I have to be things I haven't done before. Um, which not to say the temptation isn't there. Like I downloaded Civ the other day, um, again because it was on Game Pass because like it had that 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 compulsion that that's maybe what I wanted or needed in that moment. So I'm not I'm not ruling it out by any means. It's just that my habit, if I'm like, what do I play? My habit is never to go. Oh, I, you know what? I miss this game. You know, I miss Bioshock or I miss Dishonored or some other game that I've you know previously been into. Um, so the answer is simply put is kind of no at the moment, but that's not to say that I can't discover something that's pretty old and then just have a new relationship with it. Like, you know, um, even um, Beware, which, you know, I've missed by a couple of years, but I only know now discovering. It is a gamble though. Like it's, it's sad to come back to something that you have such great memories of and then find it's just like too old now. Um, that's yeah. Like the, the first Unreal game is one which I got really obsessed with when it first came out and like Unreal Tournament 2004 I think that Unreal Tournament is still great but um, like the original single player campaign which was completely mind blowing at the time it was like whoa coloured lighting and there's this uh, sort of narrative sequence at the very start of the game that kind of uh, funnels you through an abandoned uh, facility as there's lots of kind yeah. of like horror movie tropes as you go through there of like shadows darting across doorways and that kind of thing stuff that it really you didn't get much of in games um then you go back to it now and it's, uh it spits you out into this wide open area and it's just like oh this looks rubbish <laughs> this is all just rubbish i hate it um so yeah it's better to live with the nostalgia sometimes uh, but so, i think some classic games particularly strategy games and stuff do really hold up yeah. the old total wars really hold up rome still holds up really well uh, for example yeah for sure um, and I think you can probably expect us to talk about older games more often because we just talk about whatever it is that we happen to have been interested in now. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah, my excitement at the moment is definitely for, for new things on the horizon. Speaking of time, our final question comes from a radical time warlock. Would you believe it? And you shouldn't. It's probably a lie. Who writes, Dear Cream and Crumpet, you have been cursed by a radical time warlock. Oh no. That's the correct response. For the rest of eternity, you can only play video games that were released in one specific year. Because the warlock is cool, you get to choose the year. 
which year of release do you choose to play games from? Question mark regards a radical time warlock. I think it's going to be hard to beat 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have one of those, those kind of uh, bathroom cupboards above the sink that, with a mirror on it, where you can open it and fetch something, and then close it, and have the sequel be right behind you? I something, don't. So this look out for. But I have our bathroom has like a mirror above the sink, and then uh, the other wall is basically a whole mirror. So what oh, I can is, do that... is I can look up and see my reflection in the mirror behind me, like the double reflection. And maybe in that reflection, I am a seagull. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, or a yeah. car. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always important to uh, map out the jump scares that could happen in your in the abode yeah. you're in at a time. Right, uh, well, where else are they going to happen? Don't go anywhere else. Exactly right. Exactly. Silhouette in a thunderstorm, flash of lightning. Caw-caw. Seagull, exactly. I got into trouble on Twitter once. Uh, it's as close as I've ever, ever, ever been to be, being cancelled. Is uh, when I um, uh, I was celebrating the fact you could throw <laughs> Kratos's homing axe at seagulls in uh, the new God of War, uh, and there's a bespoke animation for them exploding when you hit them, and possibly an achievement for it. And then someone um, got in touch on Twitter. It's like actually they're really lovely animals, and they're forced to migrate inland every year because of humanity. Actually, like, Kratos only does this when he's very distressed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's got a good reason. It's got a good reason. Um, I don't know what uh, seagulls' migratory habits are like in Valheim or wherever he is. I, I'm, anyway. I'm, I'm positive that um, the the that act that you took had no impact on a seagull in real life. No, but that person made me aware of the plight of seagulls. So I know I've yeah, mentioned fair. it on the podcast. So it's a good piece of activism there. On behalf yeah, of right. Seagull uh, population. Yeah, exactly. Um, the um, uh, uh, the reason I knew that there's a juvenile seagull, um, or the, the, that there has been a few roofs down, is because one of them like fledged the nest, and it's basically it's been terrorizing the road. Or last couple of weeks ago, it was terrorizing the road as it learned to fly. It's some strange combination of adopted by everyone on the street and feared, because you go anywhere near this shouting little proto dinosaur fluff monster, its parents will dive bomb you. And so, yeah. like, and it's like, oh, we don't really have anything, we can't really do anything about this now. We just need to kind of accept that this screaming little monster is going to kind of live here until it learns how to fly and just goes off to steal chips for the rest oh. of its life. It's yeah. nice though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But like, you know, I think I have, like, I've seen a seagull trying to eat an entire dead pigeon. So like, this, like... <laughs> There's like I think that's the thing they, did. they can yeah they they can really go for, they, they 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 are like I've also I, I also saw a seagull eat a live sparrow once what um yeah hunting like just it was horrendous I was I was walking with Pip at the time and um you know having a conversation about something relatively serious and I could see this happening and I just realized <laughs> I had to kind of like put myself physically between Pip and this because like we don't need this additional layer <laughs> of stress. Like this strange, like Jurassic Park scenario that's playing on the other side of the road as two sparrows fly for their life from seagull that is determined to eat them and then did. Like, <laughs> horrendous. So, moderate. Like what I'm saying is, I don't feel bad for telling that seagull to piss off. Um, if only on behalf of that sparrow. Fair. <laughs> I don't know how I got onto this. <laughs> no, no, that's horrifying. That's yeah. that's it. That image will haunt me. Yeah, as it should. Well, you know, every bin in Bath has, in several languages, please don't feed the seagulls. But yeah, maybe if we had it? just fed the seagulls, that sparrow wouldn't have been murdered. I think they'd have still done it anyway. I think there's cruelty at the heart of that species. Yeah, exactly. I had it, the other day I was eating a BLT in the park, because I know how to live. Mm. And um, a seagull came over to me 
and just stood perfectly still and did that thing where it folds one of its legs up in its body and they look very strange and you get to look at them realize how uncanny birds can be sometimes. Mm. So this is like, this is like a stick with a football mounted on it with a, like a staring eye and a knife for a face. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just looking at me and I ate the entire BLT and I finished my crisps and then I put wrapped up the packet and put them in my bag until I could get to a bin started drinking my Coke. And I think it knew at that point there was going to be no crumbs and no packet to run off with. And it just very slowly descended one of its other legs to the ground and just walked away like a person. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, all right. All right, I see. Something I see. Something yeah. going on with those eagles in bath. Apparently, apparently, apparently. Mm. That that is all the questions that we have. Incidentally, uh, my least favorite game sound: the noise that Seagull made at the start of this podcast. There yeah. you go. Um, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can email us the questions at crateandcrowbar dot com. You can tweet us at crateandcrowbar. Uh, you can find the podcast and others like it on YouTube at youtube dot com forward slash crateandcrowbar. We have Discord server linked in our website at crateandcrowbar dot com. We'll find many other things to do with the podcast as only logically follows uh thanks as ever to all of our patreon supporters who uh, allow us to do this um through their benevolence you can find out more about supporting the podcast at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar i think that was relatively smooth uh all that remains to say is that i have been chris thurston and that you have been tom senior lovely well then thanks thanks for listening everybody Nice, smooth, smooth. The algorithm got to you. Got to me, and I love it.